We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. It's been a half century since the Women's Law Center of Maryland took its first case for a woman recently divorced who couldn't get department store credit cards switched to her own name. Some battles from the early days seem tucked in the distant past, but many issues of discrimination and inequality in areas like divorce and child custody, employment, sexual assault, and domestic violence still pervade the legal system. And some subjects, like access to abortion, have taken on renewed urgency. For more than five decades, the Women's Law Center of Maryland has worked to address the needs of women, and last month its board chose Katie Curran O'Malley to lead the organization as executive director. O'Malley had served for 20 years as a Baltimore District Court judge, where she gained a reputation as an expert in women's issues. Before that, she was an assistant state's attorney in Baltimore County for a decade, from 1991 to 2001. We last spoke with her in 2022, when she retired from the bench and ran, unsuccessfully, for state attorney general. She's joining us now to talk about her vision for the Women's Law Center. Welcome back to On the Record, Katie. Thank you, Sheila. It's great to be here. And also with us is Lori Ruth, Chief Programs Officer at the Women's Law Center of Maryland. Ruth is also on the Governor's Family Violence Council and was recently appointed to the Baltimore County Ethics Commission. Welcome to On the Record, Lori. Thank you for having me, Sheila. Katie, what is the Women's Law Center of Maryland? It provides direct legal services to um, individuals who are experiencing uh, intimate partner violence, um, discrimination either in employment law, represents individuals in family law cases for custody and divorce um, who are are able to um, meet the the economic threshold of meeting financial need um, as one of the main reasons for we'll represent them. And we also do the protective orders, which you know all about, that are in the district courts and circuit courts of Maryland. Um, and if an individual, after they have a protective order, has a continuing legal issue um, in the, with that relationship, then we continue on re- representing them in legal advocacy ways, whether it's a violation of the protective order or a divorce or a custody case. Lori, tell me more about the services the center offers. Well, we have um, services that are statewide, such as our employment law hotline and our family law hotline. And that is an income-based hotline where we assist people with information and referral for their family law cases. The largest um, number of questions are about custody, quite frankly. Um, and although that it is income-based, we pretty much help anybody who calls unless they're very high income. Um, so those are some of our statewide services, as is our Madovi project. It's the multi-ethnic domestic violence project. It's an extremely successful project that assists foreign-born survivors of intimate partner violence, sexual assault, or sex trafficking to obtain legal status here in the United States independent of their abuser. Katie, so you're a few weeks into this new job. What's your vision for the center? You know, my my vision for the center is one I've always had such great respect for this organization is to continue to help it do the great work that it's been doing um, for all these years when it's you know reaching 
you know, more individuals who need help in domestic violence situations or intimate partner abuse situations. And also right now, our main focus has been with the legislative session. So, you know, every morning we have great uh, staff here, myself and Lori, we review the bills that are being um, dropped and we figure which ones are going to have an impact on our clients. So we support them, some we oppose, we do written testimony and oral testimony. So right now that's the the focus for the next, you know, until the 90 day session is over, but then it'll be, you know, helping the center grow financially, you know, doing some more development work. So the organization has grown so much in these past 50 years um, that, you know, being able to hire more lawyers, especially in the area that Lori was talking about employment law, because we do have a great need um, when it comes to employment law attorneys and so having someone on staff full time would be great. And, you know, and talking with the the lawyers that go to court for these protective orders, they're oftentimes, you know, juggling lots of cases. So, you know, maybe getting another lawyer to help us in that area as well. Laurie, tell me more about the clients you serve. First of all, how many and, and who are they? So we serve over 7,000 people a year in a variety of different ways from the sort of lower level information and referral legal advice um, up to, you know, the direct representation of people in custody of divorce uh, matters or the federal um, immigration work that we do. And, you know, they reflect the population of the jurisdictions that we work in. So in Baltimore County, in the years I've been here, We've seen a you know an enormous increase of non-native English speakers, um, which is a a problem in the court systems, and it's a problem for them to access services when they don't speak English. Um, out in Carroll County, where we do protective orders, it's a lot of people who live on farms, and most of them, not all, are low income. Um, you know, our protective order projects and our collateral legal assistance for survivors and our Madobi projects do not have income barriers. Um, so people um, access our services without having to pay any fee. And in domestic violence cases, we sometimes take people who are considered over income according to the Maryland Legal Services guidelines. So it just depends, but they honestly, if you look at who we represent, it's mostly women, not all. We do represent men, um, and it's mostly low income, but not all. And it's a big variety of you know race and ethnic and cultural background. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast speaking with Lori Ruth, Chief Programs Officer of the Women's Center of Maryland, and with Katie Curran O'Malley, the center's new executive director. Um, as you mentioned, part of what the Women's Law Center does is advocate for changes in policy. You have an ambitious agenda in the General Assembly. Um, one of the bills you're advocating for, Katie, HB 496, would redefine how consent is defined in second-degree rape. What is the change you think is needed? Well, right now the law requires in uh, first degree rape and um, first degree sex offenses, it, it requires that you have this sort of antiquated force and threat of force standards so that, you know, that, or that the victim has to have been pinned down um, against his or her will and that the victim has to have either had, a, you know, some sort of a weapon also could, you know, show force or threat of force. Um, but this 
statute changes the focus. So it's whether or not there is a clear and voluntary agreement between individuals involved in a sexual act. Um, so it keeps the fact finder, whether it's a judge or a jury, focusing on looking at the right questions in a totality of the circumstances as to whether or not consent was given freely and voluntarily. So historically, you know, there have been questions in these types of cases like, well, what was the victim wearing? And, you know, did they have a prior relationship? Had there been consent prior to this? Were they in a, were they married or were they a couple at one point in time? And looking at those types of factors. So now it's just kind of using a straightforward approach to prosecuting and determining these sex cases based on was there clear, unambiguous consent given? Well, um, let, me, so, let, me, let me just make sure. I'm, you said now, but you're by now you mean the bill well, we that want. you're advocating for, not the yes. not the current law. Right. The current law now still has force or threat of force. Well, one of the points in the legislative summary says consent may be withdrawn before or during a sexual so, right. act. And so I wanted to, to pull Lori in here. I mean, it seems like society has been debating for decades the question of revoking consent and what's fair. Lori, do you think there is now a consensus on that point? Well, you know, many other jurisdictions have updated their definition of consent, and we are not um, asking to become a yes means yes state like California. Um, but I think that um, people can understand the withdrawal of consent during activity as well as they can understand a lack of consent um you know before any activity starts the the idea that if for example somebody is unconscious and you can sexually assault them because they didn't not consent they they were unconscious you know really strains credulity about somebody's you know, reasonable understanding of what's going on. And is that possible so, under Maryland's current law? Um, there are difficulties in prosecuting cases when people are um, lack the capacity to consent. So it, it is a it is an issue. I, you know, we are not criminal law attorneys, so I can't speak too closely. You'd have to talk to a state's attorney about that um, to know for sure what the difficulties are. But yes, it is something that happens. And um, and I think that, you know, I hope at least that all over the country, there's a heightened awareness of women being able to dictate their own activity and say no when they mean no or indicate no in a way that's understandable without having to be told, well, nobody forced you so we can't prosecute. And that's what this bill is really getting. Right. There's a lot of gray areas when it comes to sexual assault, especially when someone is submitting as a result of, it's one of the factors in the bill, but submitting as a result of fear um, or threat or coercion. So whether it's an employer threatening to take a job away, whether it's an issue with immigration status, none of those. So if somebody submits to having sex because of fear or coercion, that cannot be considered rape in Maryland right now. And those, those are many, many cases that the prosecuting offices have to turn down. Another bill you're advocating for, SB 327, would spell out what courts should take into account in determining child custody. Lori, how would this legislation change things for children and for parents? This is a long history. Back in 2012, 2013, I sat on the governor's um, custody 
commission. And that was a huge undertaking that went on for 18 months and resulted in a, I can't even remember anymore, 200 or 300 page report. And one of the recommendations was to place into statute the factors that courts use in determining custody using a best interest of the child, you know, overarching uh, goal. And so right now, all of the factors that are used are found in case law, which, you know, as a lawyer, I know how to find it. I know how to use it. I know how to apply it to the facts of a case. But in over 80 percent of family law cases, one or both sides are unrepresented. And so the goal of this is very simple. It's to place into a statute the factors that a court would use when it is determining custody, and it would continue to use the best interest of the child standard. We have that for alimony. We have it for other things in the law, but we do not have a statute for custody. So it's really straightforward, but for 10 years, we've been unable to get it passed. And Katie, you're also backing a bill to criminalize doxing. What is that, and, and how can you stop it? So doxing is a behavior that's done when a person or persons publicly identify or publish private information about someone as a form of punishment. And um, it's it's it can be motivated in intimate partner violence where there's revenge or jealousy. And the intent behind the publishing this information is to embarrass, shame, or exploit the victim. And it can have long-lasting psychological effects. Um, so it's you know it's different from sexting and blogging, but it's again doing this is an effort to sort of intimidate or abuse or threaten or harass the person um, putting their public information out there on the internet. And why go for criminal rather than civil remedies like lawsuits? So that can be done as well, but I mean it, it basically is you know the intent behind it is is malicious and and is done to harm. So I, I think that having it as a criminal remedy is just, it's another tool, especially when we're talking about um, intimate partner violence and the different things that activities that individuals or users do to the, the victims in these cases. Lori, what's your sense of the General Assembly session? Well, I think at this point, this custody bill is the one I've been working on the longest for, you know, 10 or more years now. So it is a fond hope that, that that will pass. Last year, we finally had success in updating our grounds for divorce. And uh, and that was a long time coming as well. And it was a tremendous success. Um, so that's my hope for this custody bill. Um, there, there are some bills that address domestic violence specifically that are a little bit in flux and, and nothing um, that I would call major, but they are things that we work on behind the scenes and and also do testimony on um, to try and improve our domestic violence laws. Um, so those are things I hope will have some success. It's always hit or miss. You never know what's going to happen until the end, until signy die. Uh, we've had bills die at 11.59 you know, p.m. on signy die the last day of session, and we've had them pass on signy die as well. So you're you just keep going and try and do what you can down there to influence things. Well, thank you both for taking time out of such a busy session to talk to us. Thanks. Thanks, Sheila. Our pleasure. 
Katie Curran O'Malley is the new executive director of the Women's Law Center of Maryland. Lori Ruth, who's been with the center for 16 years, is the chief programs officer. The center offers direct legal services, hotlines to answer family law and job discrimination questions, and it advocates for policy change. We've got links to more information at the On the Record page at WYPR.org, including how to sign up for legislative alerts. Short break on the record. When we're back, a former client of the Women's Law Center tells of her experience. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass. We're learning today about the Women's Law Center of Maryland. We just heard from Katie Curran O'Malley, its new executive director, and from Chief Programs Officer Lori Ruth. And now we're joined by Misha Hall. She's a retail supervisor and has been a client of the Women's Law Center of Maryland. Originally from Jamaica, she now calls Baltimore her home. Welcome to On the Record, Misha. Hi, thanks for having me. What brought you to Baltimore? Marriage. I came to this center, this country, like by marriage. I was married to a U.S. citizen, and um, from there, I had to make um, Baltimore home. And you already had two children of your own when you came. Is that right? Yes, I did have two children from my home country in Jamaica, so they migrated as well. How did you find out about the? Women's Law Center of Maryland? So as a result of the same marriage that got me here, I became victim of um, a lot of domestic situations as it relates to my husband um, doing some real cruel stuff to me. I would have reached out to the police on some occasions. Um, My husband had my Uh, my migration or my immigration um, status threatened because um, I I joined by marriage. So for that, he wanted to keep me hush-hush. But because I reached out to the police, the police would have provided me um, like resources that I could reach out for help. I really didn't even reach out for help until one of the situations took us to court and a lawyer a lawyer gave me a phone number to call. When I called, it was the Women's Law Center of Maryland. I met a Rebecca who, um, she was like a dove. When I, I can remember when I when I met Rebecca on the phone, she would listen and she I could actually hear empathy. She was just very, very warm. And she was welcoming and she was like so understanding. And I would have like broken down several times. Talking about my situation is never easy. And I would have broken down several times and she would just, you know, she would just be so sweet. And she would like be like, "Um, do you want to take a break? I'll be right here. So she was just warm. It felt like (laughs) this was a dove, especially with the fact that 
I knew nobody in this country. I came here only because of marriage. I don't have family. So that was my first impression on the Women's Law Center. The first um, interaction was like so good. Like finally, after years, I have somebody that I can talk to, somebody who makes me feel warm and like welcome. However, I, I really have not tried like reaching out to others I, I was afraid of sharing my story because of the threats from my husband regarding my immigration status so because I felt so comfortable with um, um, Rebecca at Women's Law Center I would tell her every single details that there was because l like I said it was so warm and welcoming so I feel like okay so I can talk to this person I don't know um, that um, you could really get this level of comfort just from talking to somebody. And when all was said to her, she would have said to me, this sounds like something that we should be able to help you with at the Women's Law Center. Misha, I'm going to provide your information to two separate lawyers, one that can take care of your divorce situation and one that can help you with your immigration. That's Misha Hall on the record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about her experiences with the Women's Law Center of Maryland and the assistance she received. So I know it's a complicated case, but I gather the Women's Law Center of Maryland helped you both with divorce issues and immigration issues. Yes. Tell me, I was... I had the intake with two lawyers now. So I've met Sarah, that's Sarah Powell, for my divorce situation. And then I met Suzanne, that's Suzanne Bailey, for my immigration situation. And I can tell you, it was just the same all the way through. These people are so warm. I felt like I had a family at this point. I had a Sarah that would connect with me like my, like my flesh and blood would. Sarah is just she she would reassure me she would she would just give me comforting words you know uh, Misha is so she would she would just help me with what the laws are like as it relates to whatever was happening you know to have me see clearly what it is because all I knew in this country was what my husband taught taught me so now that I'm in situations where the law is involved I don't know much I probably have to go to Google and we all know that you know we probably don't want to go there but Sarah would point me into all the right directions and and her encouragements and the support and she would try to meet me anywhere she would meet me at times that were convenient to me because I had to work and sometimes I had to do two jobs. So she would always be so willing to meet me, even on a Sunday. Misha, what advice do you have for someone who, who might find themselves in a position similar to the one you were in then? My advice is, you if you have ever a need to call the police, they're going to provide you with resources. Reach out for help. 
There are days when you will wake up and you don't feel like you can even carry on because you're so drained from whatever situation. Reach out for help. There are organizations out, well, I cannot speak of organizations, but I can tell you about the Women Law Center. They are happy to help. I remember I've said to Suzanne, I said, that's for my immigration um, situation. I said to her, Suzanne, I feel like I'm paying a million dollars for what I'm getting here. These people have not asked me for a penny. They have been more than supportive. I have everything I needed mentally. Um, they made sure that everything was right on my end. They asked me about my kids. So I'm telling you, if you're ever going through a situation where you feel like all hope is lost, at minimum, reach out to the Women Loss Center. Have them do an intake, and then you will be as happy as I am today. Misha, I'm really grateful to you for talking to us about this. Thank you. I so, I'm so happy that I was able to, um, to come on your show. Misha Hall has been a client of the Women's Law Center of Maryland. They provide direct legal services, information hotlines, and they advocate for policy changes. We've got more information at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.